0: Warlock Vorobach Reads. Presented by the Public Library of Cincinnati and Hamilton County. Hello, welcome to Warlock Vorobach Reads, a monthly Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. This adult story time will introduce you to some of my favorite fantastical stories that shall send shivers down your spine, surreptitiously raise the hair on the back of your neck, and other unearthly delights. Tonight is going to be weird. I've got for you listeners a short story from Kelly Link's collection, Stranger Things Happen, which was released under the Creative Commons license. To learn more about that license, please check out creativecommons.org. The story is titled Survivor's Ball, or The Donner Party. Be warned, there are a few instances of foul language. So, crawl underneath that blanket, pour out a beverage, and get your teeth chattering for Survivor's Ball or The Donner Party by Kelly Link. Part 1. Travel They had been traveling together for three days in Jasper's rented car when they came to the dark mouth of the tunnel into Milford Sound. Serena was telling Jasper something very important. What did Jasper know about Serena after three days? That she didn't wear underwear. That she was allergic to bees. That she liked to talk. She said the strangest things. That she was from Pittsburgh. Listening to her voice made him feel less homesick. Jasper was driving on the wrong side of the road in a place where water spun down the wrong way in the drain on a continent that was on what he thought of as the upside-down part of the globe where they celebrated Christmas on the beach and it snowed in the summer, which was the winter. A girl from Pittsburgh was a good thing, like an anchor. Every homesick traveler should have one. That thing you said to me in the bar was so cute, Serena said. You know, when we met, Jasper said nothing. His tooth hurt. He mimed to show that it was hurting. Poor guy, Serena said. They drove down the avenue of the disappearing mountain through groves of sword-like cabbage trees. The road circled up between cracked gray boulders, and the little red car went up the road like a toy pulled on a string. There was a guy in Uckland who had been to Milford Sound, Serena said. He told me it was like standing at the edge of the world. It's funny, i met him before in Tokyo, I think. Once you've been traveling for a while, you run into the same people everywhere you go. But I never remember their names. You end up saying things to each other like, Do I know you? Were you the guy at that restaurant? That one with the huge fish tank in Amsterdam? You end up writing down your addresses on little pieces of paper for each other. And then you always lose the pieces of paper. But it's okay because you'll run into each other again. It's not a very big world, she said, sadly. They had been late leaving the youth hostel in Tayanao because Serena slept past noon, and then she thought she might like a shower. There was no hot water left, but she spent a long time in the bathroom anyway, writing in her journal. Jasper hoped she wasn't writing about him. He consulted his guidebook and then the hostel manager and still managed to get lost on his way to the corner dairy to buy aspirin for his tooth and then lost again on the way back. In the end, he had to ask a little girl wearing a red parka and striped black and white stockings for directions. When he came back, Serena was sitting on the bed writing postcards. Her clothes and her books and other things were scattered all around her. She looked completely at home in the hostel room, as if she had lived here for years. But everything went back into her backpack, snip, snap, and then the room looked very empty. Nothing but a lonely bed and a heap of sheets. Before they left Tayanao, they stopped at a pub for lunch. Jasper couldn't eat, but he paid for Serena's meal. She flirted with the barman, sticking strands of her hair into her wide red mouth and licking them into dark, glossy tips. She told the barman that she was running away from home, that she was going to travel all the way around the world and just keep on going, that she liked New Zealand beer. She didn't say anything at all about Jasper, who was standing at the bar right there beside her, but her hand had been curled in a comfortable way in his pocket, down under the counter. They hadn't seen a single car since they left the main road and headed for the pass into Milford Sound. After enduring ominous weather reports all the way from Queenstown to Teyonau, he guessed it wasn't surprising. Alone, Jasper would have headed up the east coast to Dunedin, rather than making the long drive into the west and Fiordland. But Serena had a great desire to see Milford Sound, and he was quickly learning that Serena was seldom thwarted in her great desires. Two nights ago, he had been sitting in bed, watching her sleep. Dust floated in the cold, moonlighted air, and he sneezed. A piece of his tooth, a back molar, fell into his hand. In the morning, when Serena woke up, she had put it in an airmail envelope, sealed the envelope, and written Jasper's tooth on it. He had the envelope in his pocket now, and every once in a while his tongue went up to touch the changed, broken place in his mouth. "'I've never met anyone named Jasper before,' Serena said." It's old-fashioned. Jasper looked at her. She looked back, smirking, black hair tucked into her mouth. She was doodling on the back of her hand with a fountain pen, making thin, jagged lines. It was an expensive pen. His name was engraved on it. So Serena, he said carefully, around the tooth, My grandmother's youngest brother's name was Jasper. He died in a war. I'm not named after anybody, Serena said. In fact, I've always hated my name. It makes me sound like a lake or something. Lake Serena, Lake Placid. I don't even like to swim. Jasper kept his eyes on the road. I never learned how to swim, he said. And hope that there will always be enough lifeboats, she said, and closed one eye slowly. He watched her in the rearview mirror. It was not an altogether friendly wink. She put the pen down on the dashboard. My grandmother gave me that pen, he said. "Had lent it to Serena in the bar in Queenstown when they met. She hadn't given it back yet, although he had bought her a ballpoint at a chemist's the next day. He had also bought her a bright red lipstick, which he had thought was funny for some reason, a bar of chocolate, and a tiny plastic dinosaur because she said she didn't like flowers. He wasn't really sure what you're supposed to buy for a girl you met in the bar, but she had liked the dinosaur. I never had a grandmother, Serena said, not a single one. Not a mother, not a brother, not a sister, not a cousin. In fact, there was a general drought of relatives where I was concerned. A long, dry spell. Although once I brought home a kitten, and my father let me keep it for a while. That kitten was the only relative who ever purely loved me. Does your grandmother love you? I guess, Jasper said. We have the same ears. That's what everyone says. But I have my father's crummy teeth. My father's dead, Serena said. And so is the kitten. I'm sorry, Jasper said. And Serena shrugged. She held her left hand away from her, examining her drawing. It looked like a map to Jasper. Pointy stick drawings of mountains and lines for roads. She stuck a finger in her mouth and began to smudge the lines away, carefully, one by one. Your ears aren't so bad, she said. The radio went on and off in a blur of static. Unseasonable weather. Party of truckers on the Milford track missing for nearly between Dumplin' and Doughboy Hut, rescue teams, and nothing but static. Jasper turned off the radio. They might as well give up, Serena said. They're all dead by now, buried under an avalanche somewhere. They'll find the bodies in a couple of weeks when the snow melts. She sounded almost cheerful. There were tall drifts of snow on either side of the road. Every 500 meters, they passed black and yellow signs reading Danger, Avalanche Area, Do Not Stop Vehicle. Every sign said exactly the same thing, but Serena read them out loud anyway in different voices. Elmer Fudd, Humphrey Bogart. The barman's flirty New Zealand sing-song. Danger! Well, Robinson Crusoe, she said. Killer robots and tsunamis from Mars ahead. Also, German tourists. Do not stop your vehicle. Do not row down your window to feed the lions. Remain inside your vehicle at all times. Do not pass go. Do not pick up hitchhikers. Oops. Too late. All day the sky had been the color of a blue china plate, flat and suspended upon the narrow teeth of the mountains. The road wound precariously between the mountains, and a car threaded the road. The sun was going down. Just where the road seemed about to lift over the broken mountain rim, where the sun was sliding down to meet them, a black pinprick marked the tunnel into Milford Sound. As Jasper drove, the pinprick became a door, and the door became a mouth that ate up first the road and then the car. Serena was reading out of Jasper's guidebook. Started in 1935, she said. Did you know it took 20 years to complete? It's almost a mile long. Four men died in rock falls during the blasting. You should always call a mountain Grandmother to show respect. Did you know that? Turn on the headlights. They went from the pink gray of the snowdrifts into sudden dark. The road went up at a 45-degree angle, the car laboring against a steep climb. The headlights were sullen and small, reflecting off the greasy black swell of the tunnel walls. The walls were not smooth. They bulged and pressed against the tarmac road. In the headlights, the walls ran with condensation. Over the noise of the car, Jasper could hear the plink, plink of fat droplets falling down the black rock. He touched his tongue to his tooth. Why, grandmother, what a big dark tunnel you have, he said. The terrible weight of the mountain above him. The white snow shrouding the black mountain, the stale wet air in the tunnel all pressed down and upon him in the dark. He felt strangely sad. He felt lost. He felt dizzy. He sank like a slow stone in a cold well. Hello, sailor, Serena said. Welcome to grandmother's tunnel of love. She put her long white hand on his leg and looked at him sidelong. He sank down, was pressed down, heavy, his tooth whining like a dog. He couldn't bear the weight of Serena's black eyes, her thin, shining face. Are you all right? He shook his head. colostophobic, he managed to say. He could hardly keep his foot on the gas pedal. He saw them spinning through the dark towards a black wall, a frozen door of ice. And then he had to stop the car. You you drive, he said, and fumbled a door open and went stumbling over to the passenger's door. Serena shifted to the driver's side, and he sat down in her warm seat. It took all his strength to shut the door again. Please, he said, hurry. She drove confidently, talking at him the whole time. You never told me you were claustrophobic. Lucky for you, I came along. We should be out soon. They came out into night. There was nothing to distinguish one darkness from the other, but dirty snow in the headlights. Yet Jasper felt a great clinging weight fall away from him. His tongue went up to touch his broody tooth. Stop the car, he said. He threw up, kneeling beside the road. When he stood up, his knees were wet with melted snow. I think I'm all right again, he said. You drive if you want to, she said. Your call, pal. It's about another forty five minutes to the hotel, and you can't miss it. There's only one road and one hotel. Iced pine cones shattered like glass under the wheels of the car. The road was steeper, circling down this time. "'What does the guidebook say about the hotel?' he asked. Serena said, "'Well, it's an interesting story. "'This is funny. "'When I called to make the reservation, the man said they were booked solid. "'It's a private party or something. "'But I talked sweet.' Told him we had come a long way, a really long way. She stuck her feet up on the dashboard and leaned her head on his shoulder. He could see her in the mirror, looking pleased with herself. Jasper said, The hotel is full? He pulled over to the side of the road and put his head against the steering wheel. Serena said, This is the third time you've stopped a car. I have to pee. Is the hotel full or isn't it? Jasper said. Have some chewing gum, Serena said. Your breath smells like vomit. Don't worry so much. He couldn't chew the gum, but he sucked on it. He started the car again. Is your tooth killing you? She said. Yeah, he said. Revenge of the Sugar Cereal. They went another 500 yards when something ran across the road. It looked like a small person scrambling across the road on all fours. It had a long, bony tail. Jasper slammed on the brakes and swerved. Serena's arm flailed out and walloped him, catching his jaw precisely upon the broken tooth. He howled. Serena fell forward, knocking her skull loudly against the dashboard. The car came to a stop, and after a moment, during which neither of them was capable of speech, he said, Are you okay? Did we hit it? What was it? She said. A possum? My head hurts, And my hand. It wasn't a possum, he said. Too big. Maybe a deer. There are no deer in New Zealand, she said. The only native mammal is the bat. It's just us poor, unsuspecting marsupials around here. (laughs) Marsupials! Then she snorted. He was amazed to see that tears were streaming down her face. She was laughing so hard she couldn't speak. What's a marsupial, he said. Are you laughing at me? What's so funny? She punched his shoulder. A possum is a marsupial. It carries its young in a pouch. It's just a word, marsupial. It always cracks me up. It's like pantyhose or horn. It didn't seem that funny to him, but he laughed experimentally. Marsupial, he said. ha ha ha. Your mouth is bleeding, she said, and snorted again. Here. She took a dirty Kleenex out of her bag and licked it. Then she applied it to his lower lip. Let me drive. Maybe it was a dog, he said. There was nothing on the road now. Milford Sound curls 22 kilometers inland like a dropped boot. Its heel points north kicking at the belly of South Island. The Tasman Sea fills the boot, slippery and cold and dark. Abel Tasman, the first European to set foot on shore, sailed away in a hurry again after several of his crew were cooked and eaten. He left behind him Breaksea, Doubtful, and George Sounds, and Milford Sound, which is now accessible by sea, By air, by foot across the Milford Track, or along the Milford Road by car, through Homer Tunnel. In winter, the road is sometimes closed by avalanches. In summer, there are sometimes unseasonable storms. Even blizzards, sometimes. Was it winter, or was it summer? There was snow on the ground. Jasper's tooth hurt didn't remember. The Milford Hotel is a tall white colonial building. It has a veranda for warm weather use in December. From the front bedrooms, guests look out on the mitre, rising up from the sound, 1,695 meters, thin and pointed, doubled in the looking glass water below. At the back of the hotel, Lesser mountains march down to a flat, broad meadow. The Milford Road ends at the hotel's front door. The Milford Track begins at the back door. What happens when you get to the end of the world? Sometimes you find a party. This party has been going on for a long time. There is music, lights, People drinking and dancing. Strange things happen at these parties. It is the end of the world, after all. There is a small guest parking lot behind the Milford Hotel. To Jasper's dismay, it was nearly full when they pulled in. As they got out of the car, they could hear a band playing jazz. Two windows stood open on the veranda, and they could see into an enormous room. There was a crowd of people, some dancing, some sitting and eating at small tables. Someone was singing, I'd like to get you on a slow boat to China in a low, croony alto. They could hear wine glasses being tapped against each other. <coughs> Knives skittering across plates. All this through the two French doors that stood open to the veranda, to Jasper and Serena as they stood there and to the Milford track. Jasper's tooth, his whole body burned in the fresh, cold air. He looked doubtfully at Serena, at her uncombed, spit-curled tails of hair, parted haphazardly over the new, livid bruise. Her jeans had holes in them. He was wearing his college fraternity sweatshirt with a cartoon of two dogs doing it. His tennis shoes were covered in gray, caked mud, and his knees were still wet. Serena, he said. They're having a party. Well, that's what I said, Serena said. Come on, I love parties like this. Everything's always so fancy. Cocktails and little napkins and weird shit on toothpicks. Inside, the women wore elegant dresses. The men wore dinner jackets. They were probably wearing cummerbunds. Jasper's tooth ached. Serena turned and made a face at him. "'Come on!' she hissed. "'Serena,' he said, "'wait for a second. Let's find another door.' "'The further she moved away from him, "'the closer to the veranda she got, "'the more the weight of the tunnel fell back on him. "'His tooth was twanging wildly now, "'like a dowser's rod. "'He ran after her. "'A tall man met them in the open window.' The man was all in black. He had a hairy face. Here you are, the man said. His clothes were old-fashioned, the collar of his shirt narrow and starched. He smiled at them as if they were long-lost acquaintances. His lips in the black beard were red, as if he were wearing lipstick. You were expecting us, Jasper said. Of course, the man said, still smiling. The young lady was most insistent we make room for you both when she called. Serena said, looking slyly at Jasper, You do have a room available. We made arrangements, the man said, but you must come in out of this weather. My name is Mr. Donner. I'm Serena Silkert, and this is Jasper Todd, Serena said. Mr. Donner held out his hand. It was neither warm nor cold, and his grasp was not too firm nor too limp. But Jasper jerked his own hand away as if he touched a live coal or an eel. Mr. Donner smiled at him and took Serena's hand, leading her into the hotel. They came into a room full of people. At that instant, the music broke off. The dancers turned and stared at Jasper and Serena. A woman laughed as pages of sheet music lifted off the musician's stands and came drifting and scuttering across the floor. The room was longer than it was wide, with two enormous fireplaces set into the wall that faced the windows. From the fireplaces came a gnawing noise. Gradually, other small noises sprang up among the tables as the diners collected the scattered sheets of music. There were chandeliers and candles on the tables and the wind passing down the room caused the lights to flicker and dim. Between the greasy yellow light of the candles and the chandeliers, faces seemed to float like white masks. A man man stumbled against Jasper. He smiled. His teeth were filed down to sharp points, and Jasper flinched away. All the people that he saw had ruddy, glowing cheeks and shining eyes. Why, grandmother, what big eyes you have! The firelight elongated and warped their shadows, draped like tails, across the floor. What kind of convention is this? Jasper said as Serena said, You're American, aren't you, Mr. Donner? Yes, he said. He looked at them, his eyes lingering on Serena's forehead. First thing, why don't you go freshen up? We've put you upstairs in room 43. The key is in the door, he said almost apologetically, giving them a photocopied sheet of directions. I'm afraid the hotel is a bit of a maze. Just keep turning left when you go up the stairs. Try not to get lost. Jasper followed Serena through a nest of staircases and corridors. Sometimes they passed through doors which led to more stairs. From the outside, the hotel had not seemed this large or twisty. Serena walked purposefully, consulting the map, and Jasper stumbled after her, afraid that if they were separated, he would never find his way up or back down again to the dining room. Little drifts of plaster fallen from the ceiling lay upon the faded red carpet. Serena muttered under her breath, navigating. They went left, left, and left again. Jasper, following Serena, had a sudden familiar feeling. He was following his grandmother, her beehive hairdo looming ahead of him. They were somewhere. He didn't know where. He was a small child. He fell further and further behind, and suddenly she turned around. Her face... Serena put her head around the corner of a hall. Hurry up, she said. I have to pee. At last they came to a hallway where none of the doors had numbers. They passed a door where inside someone paced back and forth, breathing loudly. Their own footsteps sounded sly to Jasper and the person behind the door sucked in air with a hiss as they went by. Jasper pictured the occupant, ear against the door, listening carefully, putting eye to Spyhole, peeking out. The last door in the corridor had a tarnished key in the lock. The door was small and narrow and Jasper stooped to enter. The ceiling sloped toward the floor, and beneath the white bolsters and comforter, the double bed sank in the middle like a collapsed wedding cake. It smelled fusty and damp. Jasper threw his pack down. Did you see that man's teeth? he asked. Mr. Donner, teeth, she said. How is your tooth? There was a man down the hall, he said. He was breathing. Serena pushed at his shoulders. Lie down for a minute, she said. You haven't eaten all day, have you? This is a strange place, he sat on the bed. He lay down and his feet hung over the mattress. It's a foreign country, she said, and pulled her sweater over her head. Underneath, she was naked. A thick pink line of scar ran down under her collarbone. There was a faint mark on her breast as if someone had bitten her. I did that, he said. Hmm, Serena said, you did. Maybe you broke your tooth on me. You have a scar, he said. He had traced his finger along the line of that scar, and she had exhaled slowly and smiled and said, Warmer, you're getting warmer. He had bitten her experimentally to see what she tasted like, to make his own small and permanent mark on her. "'That? I thought you were too polite to ask. That was a fire. My father's house burned down. I had to break a window to get out, and I landed on the glass.' "'Oh, sorry.' He reached out a finger to trace that line again, to see if they ended up in the same place again. But she was standing too far away. He was too far away, lying on the bed. Don't be, she said. First, I took all the money out of the hiding place under the sink. Always look under the mattress and under the sink. She pulled something velvety and stretchy out of the pack, held it up against her body. Are you gonna change into something clean? These are my cleanest pants, Jasper said, but he took a woolly sweater out of his bag and put it on. He lay on the bed looking at her. As usual, she looked utterly at home, even in this strange place. He tried to think of Serena in her home, her real home in Pittsburgh. A house was burning down. She sat domesticated and tame, nestled on a burning couch, watching a burnin' television, the kitten on her lap all made of flames. She was holding a map he saw, a book of maps. The fire was erasing the roads, the continent, all of the essential information. Now they would never get home again. He tried opening his mouth as far as he could. Serena pulled at his feet and he sat up and fumbled a bottle of aspirin out of his pocket. He poured a heap into his hand and swallowed them one by one. The other thing from his pocket was the envelope with his tooth in it. Serena took it away from him. She stuck her finger in a corner and ripped the envelope open. She held the tiny bit of tooth in her palm for a minute and then popped it into her mouth. "'Yuck!' he said. Why did you do that? But at the same time, he was almost flattered. Tasty, Serena said, like candy corn. Yum. Go on down, she said. You take the map. Don't wait for me. I never get lost. I'm going to have a quick shower. She left the bathroom door open. In the hallway, he studied the map. His ears pricked listening for the occupant of the room down the hall. He heard only music, very faint. In the end, he followed the music down the many staircases to the dining room. All the way down, just behind his eyelids, he could see the thing from the road running alongside him, crouched and naked and anxious. It was burning. Small, heatless flames licked along its back like fur and dripped onto the carpet. His grandmother, somewhere behind him, was sweeping up the flames into a dustpan. Someone should put that dog out, she said. It isn't house-trained. Somewhere upstairs, a door opened and slammed shut, and then opened again. In the dining room, a table had been newly laid for two and he sat down with his back to the fireplace. At the front of the room, Mr. Donner was dancing with a stout woman in red. The fire behind him traced black figures on the walls and wavered over the faces of the diners around him. When he looked at them, they looked away. But they had been looking at him in the first place, he was certain. He wished that he had taken a bath or at least combed his hair. The heat beat at his skull and the snap of the fire lowed him, while the cold streaming in through the open doors stung his eyes and plucked at his jaw. Half of him burned cold, the other half hot. He thought of going up to the tiny room again, to wait until it was time to go to sleep. There would be the same discomfort the damp, cool sheets, and between them the sticky warmth of Serena's body. Jasper thought of the white, eyeless walls and shuddered. It was preferable to sit here between the fireplace and the open windows. Framed in the window closest to him was a mountain, blunt and crooked like a ground-down incisor. Halfway down its slope, he could see a procession of lights. He saw the others around him were intently watching the mountain and the moving lights. A waiter emerged from a service door beside the fireplace and began arranging another table. He set seven places and silently disappeared again. Jasper looked back towards the mountain. His tongue went up to touch his tooth. He counted the lights on the mountain. The musicians sawed at their instruments furiously, and on the dance floor the dancers moved faster and faster, picking up their feet and slamming them back down, spinning like flames. Serena came into the ballroom. She was wearing a stretchy black dress and a pair of gaudy purple tights. She had washed her hair and applied makeup to the bruise on her forehead. Her face was white and delicate as ivory, under a dusting of powder. She was wearing the silly red lipstick. "'The better to kiss you, my dear,' someone said." He stood up and went to her chair. "'You look very beautiful,' he said. She let him seat her and said bluntly, "'You look like shit. Does your tooth hurt? Will you be able to eat anything?' I don't know, he said, but I'd like some wine. She she sat down next to Jasper, put her cool hand upon his forehead. Poor kid, she said. You're burning up. Mr. Donner left the dance floor. He borrowed a chair from the table set for seven and sat down next to them. He was breathing hard. Jasper thought he could almost see the breath leave his mouth like tiny licks of wet flame. "'Is your room adequate?' he said. "'Our room is fine,' Serena said. She stretched her hands out across the tablecloth towards Jasper. "'What a nice, hot fire!' "'Oh, the better to cook you, my dear,' Jasper thought and touched his tooth again. He said, Where did all these people come from? This is the first course, Mr. Donner said. Waiters put down bowls of thin pink broth and poured red wine into Serena and Jasper's glasses. Some of us have come from very far away, Mr. Donner said. We meet every year. We meet to celebrate the triumph of the human spirit in situations of great adversity. We are all travelers, survivors of adventures, calamitous expeditions of tragedies. We are widows and orphans, the survivors of marriages and shipwrecks. This is the 143rd Survivor's Ball. That's nice, Jasper said. Serena squirmed in her seat. You look so familiar, she said to Mr. Donner. Have we met? One meets so many people, Mr. Donner said. He took a sip of wine. We're expecting one more party. They're a little late. Is that why you keep the windows open? Serena asked. We're hoping that they'll hear the band playing, Mr. Donner said. "'Music raises the spirits considerably, I find. "'We hope they'll find their way back down the trail without further incident.' "'You're talking about the lost hikers, right?' Serena said. "'There were twenty-three hikers,' Jasper said. "'They've only set seven places.' "'Mr. Donner shrugged. "'Do try your soup, Mr. Todd.' Jasper took a small sip of the soup. It was warm and salty, and as he swallowed, it burned. I'm starving, Serena said. She showed them her empty bowl. Jasper's tooth broke, but he's afraid to go see a dentist. It's fine, Jasper said. I'll wait until we get back to Auckland. He had a very clear picture of a dentist in Auckland, who would be a kind man with a well-kept mustache. A gentleman with small, knowledgeable hands who believed in using gas. Or maybe the tooth would grow back. The second course was a fatty cut of brown meat. There was a little dish of green jelly and carrots cooked with brown sugar. Steam rose up to Jasper's nose, thick and sweet. He diced up a carrot and ate it with his spoon. I'm not really that hungry, he said. After dinner, Mr. Donner said, we sit and tell stories in front of the fire. I do hope you like stories. Ghost stories, Serena said. It's just like Girl Scout camp. I used to love the campfires. Jasper's wine glass was full again. He didn't remember drinking the last glass. The better to drink you, my dear, his tooth said he still had a sense of wrongness an instinct that the proper thing to do would be to leave or perhaps just go up to bed but that would mean the tunnel again or the small coffin-like room with its sad sagging bed he took another sip of wine to fortify himself the band was playing a new song the song sounded familiar it might have been autumn leaves it might have been a hymn Have the two of you been traveling together long, Mr. Donner asked. Oh, no, Serena said. We met three days ago in a bar in Queenstown. We're traveling around the world in opposite directions. I fly to Hawaii next Tuesday, and then I'm supposed to go home again. This is just Jasper's second stop. Maybe I'll come back home with you, Jasper said. Don't be silly, she said. But, under the table, her foot moved up his calf, nudged in between his legs, in a friendly way. I'm trying to keep as far away from home as possible, for as long as possible. Not that I have a home any longer. It burned down. How sad, Mr. Donner said, smiling. Not really, Serena said primly. I'm the one who burned it down, but I don't like to talk about that. Jasper looked across the table at the girl he had met in a bar. She didn't look like a girl who would burn down her house. He wasn't really sure what girls who burned down houses looked like. What was the name of the lipstick color? That had been the silly thing. Something like Bury Me or Red Death or maybe Red Delicious. Maybe Fire Truck? See, Serena said, do you still want to go home with me? Under the table, her hand ran up and down his leg, pinching lightly. Jasper isn't the sort who travels purposefully, she said to Mr. Donner. He isn't the sort who's purposeful, or smart, or careful about the kinds of women he picks up in bars, for that matter. You've got to be careful, she said, turning to Jasper for a moment. About picking up girls in bars, good grief. What if I turned out to be weird or something? But he isn't careful. He's lucky instead. For example, he won his trip by filling out a form in a travel agency. You are a fortunate young man, Mr. Donner said. There was just a small smear of mint jelly on Serena's plate. When he told me in the bar how he won, I thought it was just a great pickup line, she said. The tie-breaking question was, why do you want to go around the world? And he wrote, because you can't go through it. Isn't that ridiculous? (laughs) It's true, Jasper said. He was careful to enunciate. Sad, but true. Serena smiled at him. I shouldn't complain, though. It's great traveling with Jasper. He gave me a plastic dinosaur, a stegosaurus. Thanks, Jasper, she said. Don't mention it, said Jasper. He wanted to say something to explain that travel was important to him, that someday he knew if he traveled long enough, he would eventually come to a wonderful, a magical place. His toothache was almost gone, just the smallest twinge very far away, practically in another country, some place that he had been stuck in for a while. He looked past Serena to the French window. The torches were now at the base of the trail. They swung back and forth, lighting up the great trunk of a cowrie tree, a growth of ferns on the lawn before the hotel. Look, said Mr. Donner, here they come, just in time for the dessert. The whole room rose from their chairs, applauding. Five men and two women came into the room. They stopped just past the threshold, as if uncertain of their welcome. They looked longingly at the fireplaces, at the empty plates piled up on dirty tables, but they did not move. Instead, the crowd swept towards them. Excuse me, Serena said. She got up and went with the others. Jasper watched her recede, the black hair falling down around her shoulders again, a tail tucked into her painted mouth, the long legs in the purple tights. Waiters were going back and forth between the tables, extinguishing candles. Jasper watched as they pinched the small flames between their fingers. Soon the only light would be the red light of the fireplaces. The bulbs of the chandeliers were faint as starlight, guttering to blackness. At the opposite end of the room, near the windows, he could no longer see Serena or the hikers. The crowd was clotted and indistinct in the dim light. It moved slowly across the dance floor, pouring through the window like the massy shadow of the black mountain. Sitting by the dance floor was a single cellist. He had put his instrument down and was cramming balls of sheet music into his mouth. He chewed them slowly, his hands pulling the white pages out of the air around him as if they were alive. The wind blew out the chandeliers. But Jasper could still see the musician, his mouth and eyes wet and horrible. Where are the other hikers? Mr. Donner was biting savagely at his thumb, frowning down at the table. Sometimes people do unthinkable things, in order to come home safely, he said. Impossible things, wonderful things. And afterwards, do you think they go home? No, you find it's much, much better to keep on traveling. Hard to stop, really. The French doors had shut. The hikers were cut off from the trail in the mountain, should they wish to go back. The fire behind Jasper was flickering low, casting out more shadow than warmth, and yet the room seemed to grow hotter and hotter. His tooth no longer hurt. The wine and the warmth were pleasant. I can tell you're a good man, Mr. Donner. Otherwise, my tooth would warn me. I've never had a toothache like this before. I've never been to a place like this before. I've never been to a party like this before. But your name, it's familiar. My tooth says your name is familiar. The crowd was moving back across the dance floor, towards them, towards the table set with seven places, but he couldn't see Serena. She had been completely swallowed up. The cellist had finished his music, and like a magician, he lifted the bow of his instrument, lowered it into his wide unhappy mouth. Perhaps you recognize it, said the bearded man. But on the other hand, what's a name? Hmm? After a while, names are just souvenirs. Places you've been. Let me introduce you to some of my friends. He waved towards the approaching crowd. Mrs. Gamora, over there. Mr. Belly of the Whale. Miss Titanic, Little Miss through the looking glass, Mr. and Mrs. Really Bad Marriage, Mr. Over the Falls in a Wooden Barrow. Off in the distance, Jasper could hear a wolf howling, which was strange. What had Serena said? It was all marsuprios here. The plentative noise reverberated in his tooth. The bearded man was practically gnashing his teeth, smiling ferociously. I have seen snow, and I have been hungry, and I have seen nothing in my travels that is so bad as not living. I propose a toast, Mr. Todd. They both raised their glasses. To travel, one said. To life, said the other. Some are leaving this fall for Texas, and more are going in the spring to California and Oregon. For my part, I have no desire to go anywhere. I am far enough west now and do believe some people might go west until they have been around the world and never find a place to stop. Elvira Power Hines, March 1852. The End Thank you, Cincinnati, Hamilton County, and beyond. This was Warlock Vorobach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County public library podcast specializing in adult story times, usually with a supernatural twist. Please subscribe to the podcast to hear a new story every month and share it with your friends and family and coworkers. Be sure to check out the library's new website for other virtual programming. And what a great looking site, I may say. Also, thanks to Kelly Link and the people at Creative Commons. Be sure to borrow more of Kelly's books from your local branch. This is Warlock Vorobach signing off. Till next time. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our Warlock Vorobock Reads podcast for monthly chills. This has been a production of the Public Library of Cincinnati in Hamilton County.